what I learned around people are people. It's not the tags. It's the people are people. And when you start to embrace people and allow them to be their authentic self at work, that's when excellence happens. That's when you start putting the best talent on the field. And most of these get so caught up in their egos that it erodes the effectiveness of the organization. And diversity inclusion is not just about gender. It's not just about right race. It's around just people being different. And when you start to embrace that and create an environment where people can just be psychologically safe, being who they are, that's when you become the best company. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And I'm Elizabeth Swan. And we're from the Just In Time Cafe. And welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions. We talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. And we let you in on helpful apps that bring you the news and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu today? Today's highlight is our interview with the effervescent Billy Taylor, uh, where we discuss his new book, The Winning Link. Billy is charismatic, plain spoken, and his retirement got short-circuited by his amazing ability to help build high-performing cultures. So that is a must listen. Uh, for hot apps, we're highlighting a daily stand-up meeting bot that synchronizes remote teams. It's a new one. And for Q&A, we tapped into a leadership discussion about overcoming the biggest barriers to lean transformation. Up next, it's Hot Apps. Yeah, this app is by GeekBot, and they are focused on agile software teams, but stand-up meetings are a linchpin of lean management, so we decided to check it out. What'd you think, Tracy? Well, I really like the simplicity of this app. Apps solve problems. So what problem does this app solve is the question. And what I'm finding is team members that are feeling disconnected or at a loss to understand what their team members are working on or focused on, this app provides a standard way for teams, virtual teams in particular, to check in on a daily basis. And it's kind of fun, actually. It gives you prompts, daily check-ins. And then it gives team members a sense of engagement and purpose without feeling like they're getting singled out, picked on, or micromanaged by leadership. Because I think if this comes from your boss, you kind of feel like, oh, they're checking up on me. But really, what I love about this bot is it really just says, hey, no, you're sharing this with everybody. And everybody it knows what everybody's working on, so people feel more connected. And it also reminds people, just like regular stand-up sessions, oh, crap, I owe that person this thing. And they're working on it, so I better get to it. So I think it helps with communication. It helps with connection. It helps people feel engaged. And I really like that one question about how do you feel? So I really like it. Yeah. It was really easy to use. You know, you're bringing up something I hadn't really thought about, which is this is so much easier than having these questions come from a boss or a manager. Like I remember what was that dreaded? I remember getting a post-it note at my desk when I was you know, young in my career. And it, it was someone I was working with, someone senior to me, and it said, see me. And I just was like, ah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what did I do? And it was literally just, you know, we're on a project and he wanted to check in with me on the project. But I was like, oh my God, don't ever do that to me again. So you're right that that 
it, it neutralizes that aspect of having someone check up on you, but it lets everyone know what's going on. So the bot is the heart of their offering. And for the daily standup meeting, I'm thinking there's a regular cadence for when the bot reaches out to you on Slack or Teams, right? Those are the only platforms they're using right now. And it asks those questions like you referenced, Tracy. Um, you know, please share what you've been working on and how do you feel today? So, you know, it's a bot checking about your emotions. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a paradox, but I like that too. And then it gets down to, you know, business. Like, okay, what'd you do since yesterday? And what are you going to do today? And then is anything blocking your progress? And it gives you a moment to respond to each one of those, which is critical, right? Got to get your response in there. These seem like they're quick, so you don't have to go into like long paragraph discussions. And then the bot instructs you to check out the status channel. And that's when you see reactions to your update and replies from your teammates. And they can suggest actions based on what you did or suggest everyone get together and connect over Slack or Teams. Uh, But the bots get daily reports from everybody. Now, then I looked at pricing and it's funny, I've been dealing with such a huge range in pricing of apps these days, but this one, $0 if you have 10 or fewer people, like to kind of have a little startup method for you, assuming, hey, you're going to grow and be mm-hmm. awesome and need the next level. Then it's $2.50 a person per month. Uh, and then it goes into an enterprise level, but I think the pricing is customized at that point. So pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I could even see this for like a construction project, right? Where people really are not connected, like they're siloed because they're completely different organizations and unions. But then you'd have to get them all on Slack or Teams. That might be too much. But I don't you remember us going and being at the daily stand-up meeting at Menlo Innovations up in uh, Ann Arbor with Richard Sheridan and his mm-hmm. he had 75 people in the team and the whole company and they all stood up and it was 15 minutes. So I feel like, that's a luxury. They were all in one room. Like there's no walls. There were rarely very few walls. And then, but there's a lot of remote teams now, even more since COVID. So I'll bet a lot of teams could benefit from this. And mm-hmm. um, Tiffany Wendemeyer, a friend of the cafe, who's testing it out with her team this month. Uh, so we're going to find out what she thinks about it when she's done. Yes. And, you know, it's really exciting because, I mean, COVID has transformed how we work. And obviously there's some, you know, it was kind of painful <laughs> for some, but really it's, it's you know, there's a silver lining and, and these new apps that really help virtual teams be productive is always, they're always great finds. And so really great job. Good find on this one, Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth Swan and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Billy Taylor, who just published his leadership book, The Winning Link. Next up, it's a question related to process improvement transformation. Where does the organization need the most help? Is it customer focus? Is it enterprise alignment? Is it continuous improvement? Or is it cultural enablers? We asked this question of our most recent members of our Lean Six Sigma leadership course at UC San Diego. And I thought they'd zero in on cultural enablers you know, exclusively. Um, but this semester, it's been really split and it included enterprise alignment as a challenge. 
which makes me think they could benefit from Billy's book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so some of the comments we heard, one of them was, you know, the lean tools and training are not clearly linked to the objectives of the company. And so they become nice to do's, not things that are going to get us where we need to go. Does that resonate with you at all? Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, and sometimes these, they just feel like there's actions, but not necessarily related to a purpose. And I think that's the enterprise alignment piece is people are like, okay, we have all these activities, but I'm not really sure how they fit into the big picture. What are we trying to accomplish? And I think people forget about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. There was another quote that struck with me. Um, and one of the students said, enterprise alignment has been the area of struggle for our organization. We have a lean leader that was eager to introduce lean tools. They definitely explained the tools as they were implementing them, but provided no um, no formal training and didn't connect them to the bigger picture. So ultimately tools are helpful, but that feeling was subjective. The fact that, you know, the staff felt like it was busy work, extra charts to complete. That makes me so sad. I know. Just extra charts to complete. It's like, oh no. Yeah. You know, go ahead. No, I agree. I mean, if people don't understand how it's related, we see this everywhere. They just, they feel like, why, why are we having to do this extra work? What, what's the point? And they don't really understand what it's about. I just got asked the question by someone, do leaders need to go through Greenbelt training? And, you know, a lot of people would say, no, you know, probably too much for them. But in reality, if they're going to be coaching problem solvers, the more they know about it, the better. And yeah. they probably you're not going to feel like, you know, is eight is 40 hours too much? A lot. Some of them would say yes. But if your coach, if your job is to coach problem solvers, it becomes a higher priority. So the purpose is not necessarily because you're a problem solver, because I could see a lot of leaders going, this is above me. I'm not going to be doing this. But the whole point is you need to know what your people are doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. To be able to support them. And for you to make that essential connection to from the tools and the improvements to the organizational mission and vision, right? You might be the missing link. You're the one that could pull those together and keep people engaged at that level. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, those are the four elements, right? Those are the things yes. that you have to pull together, right? Yes. So this is um, this is from, as you said, Elizabeth, it's from our Lean Six Sigma leadership course. We talk about you know, the, the four components, elements of, of developing a healthy culture. It's based on the shingle model. Uh, and the four elements were customer focus, enterprise alignment, continuous improvement, or cultural enablers. And what I really like about this model is that regardless of where you are on the journey, you can always revisit and reflect every year and make changes to actions, behaviors. Maybe you do more experiments. So the model, I, I love it because it's high level enough to revisit and reflect, and it's not necessarily prescriptive because I feel like cultures are so different. They're not cookie cutter. Every organization is at a different stage in their journey. And so it's, it's a nice model that really anybody can apply to get some learning about where they are, what's working, what's not, and what do they want to do as, as a next, next set. So it's great for strategic planning and enterprise alignment. Well said, Tracy. Well said. Um, I appreciate having these conversations with these, you know, emerging leaders. uh, And uh, this is a great model to help them. 
I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly. So you can go to www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Billy Ray Taylor. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Billy? Billy rocks. I mean, I could just, you know, mic drop right there, but I'll go ahead and tell you a little more about Billy. If you don't know him, he is, I just love this guy. I mean, I, I want to, I wanted to hug him the whole time. Uh, you know, every time I see him, he's a business executive. He's a dynamic speaker. He's a leadership guru. He is now the CEO of a new company called linked Excel or excellence it's a business operating systems architecting firm, and together with his business partners, they work with leaders and organizations globally to build a sustainable end-to-end daily operating system that drives results and inspires people-driven excellence. Love that. Uh, the linked method leverages inclusiveness and personal ownership by linking people, processes, and assets, a culture-driven approach to success. So Billy, if you don't know already, has spent over 30 years with Goodyear Tires, serving as the director of North America Manufacturing and Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. And during his tenure at Goodyear, the company's earnings rose from 38 million to over a billion And he's the global head of diversity and inclusion for the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. He led diversity and inclusion strategies for 64,000 employees across 22 22 countries where Goodyear operates. And I am so excited to have him at the cafe. And I really wish we had a physical cafe because, you know, like I said, I would love to hug this guy. (laughs) Oh, man, his enthusiasm is contagious. Hello. <laughs> We're so happy to have you at the cafe. We have been really looking forward to interviewing you. We can't wait to hear about your new adventures with your book and your new company. And we're looking forward to hearing about all of your big plans. And I hope you're ready to share them. I am. I'm excited to be here and excited to be talking to you both. And for those of you who don't know Billy, it's Billy Taylor, executive for 30 years at Goodyear. And uh, now you have your own company too. So so just a quick question. Did you leave Goodyear? Are you still with Goodyear? No, I left. After 30 years, I retired and I was going to just ride off in the sunset. And that lasted for two weeks. <laughs> uh, so it was it was the, the, the book and everything happened just that, that fast. And and then the company, wow. and the goal wasn't to start a company. Uh, I was just helping a couple of my friends at PPG and some uh, no printing Australia. And from that, they were like, Billy, you're really an operating system architect. Uh-huh. You know how to come into an organization and say, man, those things with Toyota are very important, but there's different cultures. So how do we architect our own operating system? Not just the Toyota way, but our way using those elements, those core elements. So that's what we started doing, and we had tremendous success up front. Wow. Yeah. Okay, good. So let's back up just a little bit because I have one question for you about Goodyear. We won't spend a lot of time talking about Goodyear, even though you've been you were there for 30 years. But what I want to know is if you had to pinpoint one or two 
cultural attributes about Goodyear that you feel like made the biggest difference in developing a thriving culture, what would it be? I know I start uh, with the hard ones. No, our shift was one. It first started with union, non-union environments, managing. And what I learned around people are people. It's not the tags. It's the people are people. And when you start to embrace people and allow them to be their authentic self at work, that's when excellence happens. That's when you start putting the best talent on the field. And most of these get so caught up in their egos that it erodes the effectiveness of the organization because they're focusing on more so who's saying what, right? The source, who's doing what, rather than the solution, right? Who's the best at what they do? Right. And diversity inclusion, not just about gender. It's not just about right race. It's around just people being different. And when you start to embrace that and create an environment where people can just be psychologically safe, being who they are, that's when you become the best company. And at Goodyear, when I went to this company, this plant in Fayetteville, North Carolina, deep south, being an African-American, you know, my first question to myself was, why would they follow me? Right. And you have to be honest with yourself. And just because you have a title, it doesn't mean that you're going to be great at what you do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're going to be effective. That gets you in the door and gets people to listening to you. But why would they follow you? So Goodyear gave me a great platform, gave me great resources to really embrace differences. And so in that plant, it wasn't about union versus union free. It was about we and how do we drive excellence. And how do I, I convert that, that adversarial relationship to a partnership? Because even in marriages, you don't always agree, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be committed to, to overcoming those differences. You have to be committed to those things. Because sometimes, as my wife says, listen, I love you, but I'm not in love with you today, right? <laughs> and so you have to embrace those things. And that's how you drive change. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I, I love it. Well, that's what the question I had for you, because, um, you know, what I'm hearing is, and we see this, you know, a lot in organizations, there's a little fiefdoms really, you know, sometimes. And what you're talking about is unifying people as a whole. And, and I guess my question is, do you feel like that's where people get it wrong or, you know, organizations, do you feel like that's where people get it wrong? I don't know. What do you feel like? And I don't even know if the answer is people or organizations or leaders. Do you feel like, you know, that there's this general sense, like, oh, they're doing it wrong. (laughs) Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and, and you know what, Tracy, what I've seen in organizations that are effective they do change with the people, not to the people. And see, those are the shifts. When you start to, to do change, I'm going to say with the people, the leader has to earn the right to change. And there's two different rights. There's the technical right and there's a cultural right. And you know what? The, the technical right is, is, is normally bought. People have money. They have resources. They give you a job. They give you a title. They give you work instructions. And they feel you should do what I'm told, what you're told. Well, in today's society, uh, especially with COVID coming aboard and you're saying, you know, you have hybrid workforces and you have to be very influential. Very influential is around being trusted, being respected. And that's how you engage those people. And when I say that, the cultural right to change is, do you respect me? Do you value me? Do you hold up to your word? Do you do what you say? And those things as a leader, 
people will follow those leaders. Mm-hmm. And then those leaders that try to manage two levels lower than they should, they are really handicapping the organization. Right? And, and again, my mother would always tell us, be careful when you're raising your children. She said, because if you fight their fights, you steal their victories. Whoa, so, I love that. And Yes. And so you have to be very cognizant because you're really not helping them when you start fighting all their fights. Uh-huh. You're enabling them to fail. Yeah. And so with, with leaders earning the right to change, you have to let go without letting loose. Mm-hmm. As a good parent, you let your kid go out and have the opportunity to fail. And if they don't, if they fail, they don't fail hard. They fail forward because you're there to help them forward. And that's yeah. what leaders do. It reminds me of this saying that um, we talk about when we have, we see leaders trying to be heroes it feels good for them to be a hero, but what you're really saying is your people need to be saved Absolutely. and maybe they don't feel like they want to be saved all the time. Absolutely. I think the other impact of that, what you say, which Tracy and I are going to be re- repeating what we, what you just said again and again, which is if you fight their victories, if you fight their fights, you steal their victories. You also keep the burden of the fight on yourself, right? You, you, uh, you're overburdened and overloaded and the, you know, they don't get, don't get developed. They can't help you because you've done all the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's that's funny, powerful. It was interesting as I, I recently went to my college homecoming and I took both of my, my children and those are, there's their first experience and, and hearing others talk about their parents, but the friends would talk about how my mom challenged me and the word they, they constantly kept hearing was my mother would say, do you have any gumption? Do you have that internal fortitude to overcome? Because I'm not going to fight all your battles. I'll give you some advice. I'll give you some of those things because I can't steal that, that, that responsibility from you because you won't learn how to deal with adversity. And, you know, one of the things that I see in organizations, uh, and this was, uh, and I'm very transparent when I talk about even leadership. Uh, diversity and inclusion, because I've seen some of the most powerful ladies in board meetings, but yet they it wasn't psychologically safe for them to engage, so they would not engage. They would just, right, they, it, in, in terms is just to have a little fun, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'll be right, Billy, but I'll be dead right. <laughs> right? People will attack me, people, will, and I'll feel bad, so it's, it's safer for me just to not say nothing. Those leaders are creating a toxic environment that basically it constrains growth. It constrains innovation. And the good leaders create those platforms, again, where people can engage and people can have that ownership. Because ownership really trumps accountability. If I own it, I'm going to have a higher level of engagement. You know what made working from home effective? was the amount of ownership placed on that person when they were in their own natural work environment. They own the results. Mm. They didn't have to go to a meeting and be told what to do. They sit there and they're like, I own this. And when they could report out to their organization and say, look what I accomplished, look what I achieved, they're saying, this is what I own. And that's when I'll give you more. I'll give you more. And that seems to connect or gives me some insight because I know one thing you talk about in the book is making sure people are connected to the purpose, right? Having clarity of what's the purpose um, and that 
that has to happen to every single person. So I think about like the disconnects between people in the organization and how they even connect to the customer. How do you help connect those people that are so buried in the organization that they just don't see it? Well, it's it's your daily operating model, right? How do you get that audience? And right, it's deliberate clarity. In those meetings, be very deliberate around what the strategy is and who owns what in that strategy. And let them talk to that, right? Because there are so many intersections in daily operations, and those intersections can't be collisions. They have to be connections. And so when you're talking about your daily management, who owns safety? Who owns human resources? Let them talk to that that performance as it connects to the enterprise objective, the enterprise purpose. Right, because in the absence of ownership comes blame. When people don't know what they own, then they blame. And in meetings, they blame. They walk out of the meetings. They're only focusing on their silo. And so we say this is your intersection for flow. And it's your job if people come to work every day and do. I need a body that's trained. That's HR that owns that intersection. I need people not to get hurt risk identification, risk elimination, safety. There's somebody that owns that intersection. Asset reliability, maintenance, there's someone that owns that intersection. All those intersections have to flow for the organization to achieve success. And so good leaders create that form and then governance. Here's what I see in most organizations that's missing. They have great continuous improvement, daily operating systems, but there's no governance. Mm. And so without governance, there's chaos. Just think about us three. If we were riding, and, I, and I'm almost 100% certain we're going to come up with the same answer, okay? We're riding down the highway in our car, and we, we, we approach a bridge, and there's a police car under the bridge. We see that police car. What's our first reaction or response, whether we're speeding or not? We're going to take our foot off the gas. We're going to slow yeah, down. Slow down. Because governance, we know right and wrong. We know what we should be doing. The fact is, do are we held accountable to do that? Is there a, 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 a countermeasure or a consequence, right? Because as leaders, without governance, what you accept or what you walk by, that's the standard. It's not what you write down. It's what you accept. And as my mom would say, and if I tell my daughter about dating, I says, what you accept, you can't change. Mm-hmm. 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 Love it. How old your daughter, Billy? She's 25. Okay, so you, you made it through the teenage years. Great job. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And my wife should get the ultimate medal. <laughs> with with the, the daughter and mom, one's trying to keep the independence, one trying to find independence. And it's just like a workforce. Same thing. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I have a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old, and it's it's just exactly as you said in terms of if you fight their fights, you steal their victories. It's this, it's like that's that that is a whole new dynamic with kids when they become teenagers. At some point, you got to let them choose. You got to let them make their decisions and fight their own fights. You can't fight it for them. Absolutely. You know, we had a. And it's funny. I was getting ready to have to fly out later on today, but my wife calls me, and I was 
reading some emails. Actually, I was talking to you, Tracy, back and forth. And uh, she says, I go out to the, my son's car and see if he needs an oil change. And she says, I have time to get up and go. I'm like, no, 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 no. He drives that car every day. If he's not aware that he needs an oil change, then that's on him. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. he blows that motor, he can pay $21 for an oil change or he pay $2,000 plus for a motor. <laughs> but he has to own it, right? He uh -huh. has to own it. Yes. And, and as parents, we love our kids. We want it, right? We want the best for our kids. But that doesn't mean taking away that ownership, taking uh -huh. away that right, that 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 fight. Definitely doesn't help yeah. them thrive if no. we're doing it for them. No. Yeah, I feel like that's part of what you call servant leadership, right? Absolutely. That it's it's your job to step back um, and let people learn on their own. So another aspect. I feel like you get a lot of accolades for is making improvement fun. Yeah. And I wanted to just, you know, uh, pull out your brain a little bit. Yeah. Find out some <laughs> recipes from you. I mean, Tracy and I are big believers that, yeah, if it's a good time, then you're going to get uh, people are drawn to it and, uh, and want to do it. So I was wondering what makes that work for you. We, we kind of feel like you're a kindred spirit of ours. Yeah, well, in that I, way. I love it. And I'm going to start one of my favorite quotes make people visible and they'll make you value. So, what happens is we as human beings, we thrive on being valued and appreciated. Relationships, personal relationships, thrive on value. Not what the person can give them, but how the person makes them feel. So, think about your own kids. Do they value your presence that you buy them? or your presence that you give them when you show up to the game, when you show up and say, good job. And so when I say that, that's the secret sauce, right? Your presence over the presence, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's good to give the gift cards, but they want that platform that they can feel value, right? And so what, one of the things that I, I really focus on in my journeys for operational excellence Celebrate the process, not the individual. Celebrate the process that they follow. So you embrace the individual and they want to do more. They become evangelists of what you're trying to do. They spread the word on the how you're doing it. But if you don't celebrate the, the, the process and you only celebrate the, the person, think about that what you said about leadership heroes, right? They become arsonists. They start setting fires so that they can feel good about themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you go out there, I don't miss the opportunity. The Billy Taylor two-foot rule. You get within two feet of me, I say hello. I give you the big smile. And I say, Felicia, trademark your smile. Hi, how are you doing? If I check into the hotel, hey, well, hey, Lisa. Hi, Mark. I make it a point to look at their name badge and call them by their name and say hi. And if I say there three or four times, as soon as I walk in, hey, Mr. Taylor, I saw your name on the man. We knew you were coming back. <laughs> make people visible and they'll make you value. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's the secret sauce. Love it. Well, it's also probably helpful when you buy, I don't know how many football shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about that in the book. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's cool. Deliberate, deliberate clarity, right? What winning is. 
getting everybody engaged into the purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and at that point, no one knew what we wanted to achieve or needed to achieve to be viable. And they were making 31,000 tires a day and we needed 36, 38 to do PMs and things like that, continuous improvement. And when we bought the 38 jerseys, the union presidents were the first to wear the jerseys. They were leading by example. And pretty soon in six months, moving from 31 to 38, without investing any money or working additional hours, what we did was give ownership to the purpose. We gave, and everyone knew what their role is in making 38. If I had 38 tire builders and we need to make 38,000 tires a day, each tire builder knew they needed to make 1,000 tires. And we recognized them for making that 1,000. And, and so when we bought the jerseys, everybody balked at, Billy Taylor, you're going to spend this much money on some football jerseys, $15,000. Well, that $15,000 investment, return on that was 30 plus million. Um, so, no, you're, you're spiking another question, which is, can you talk about the concept of single point ownership um, versus extreme ownership um, that you mentioned in your book? Yeah, the single point ownership is that in the vision, you know, go back to the value proposition. They know what they own. At the end of the day, single point, they feel good about their contributions. They feel good about, you give not only the company's purpose life, you give their individual purpose life, right? When they show up, they know that their contributions matter. Uh, One of my best friends, Ellis Jones, he says, every encounter matters. Every encounter matters. Anyone you have come into contact with, from the janitor to the CEO, every encounter matters. And so when they're talking about that single point of ownership, it's that value proposition of, we thank you, we need you, we appreciate you, you made a difference. And that's when change happens. Um, My greatest compliment as a leader, when I was leaving a plant in the deep South and the person that everybody thought I was gonna have a problem with became one of my greatest allies. And when I was leaving and I had my successor with me and I was giving him a tour, he stopped it. He says, Mr. I don't know about you, but I know about him. And you know what? This guy, you don't have big shoes to fill. You have big hearts to fill. That was the, and that almost brought tears to my eyes. Because going into that environment, you know, this gentleman may have had some old paradigms, but when you treat people with value and respect, it overcomes and it overshadows everything else. Because muscle can split a shield and even destroy life. But only the unseen power of love can capture the heart of any person. Mm. And when you bring that to that's when change happens. Absolutely. That is so inspirational. So probably that's probably why you couldn't be retired and you only lasted two weeks because you had these aspirations and these feelings of goodness. And so tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to do with your new company, Linked Excel or Excellence, I think it stands for. And what are your hopes and dreams with that with your organization now? So we actually stopped taking clients for a minute because we had got so many requests for our services. And we wanted to do it right. So we stayed boutique. We started working with a company called Tejian Automotive. They make a composite. They're a leader in composites. 
and they have a, a dynamic leadership team. Uh, from the CEO, Chris Twining, I mean, they're just so dynamic. They grew really, really fast. They grew really, really fast, and they're putting it together. So they helped us help them as well. And so with the company, we want to be the, the, the architect for companies that are, that are wanting to build a foundation of operational excellence beyond just being tool-based. Mm -hmm. So we want to show the, the beyond the tools, how do you lead it? So in the book, it talks about driving change. How do you lead change? How to build standards? How to hold true to those standards? And so with our company, uh, we're going to grow, but we're going to grow at our pace, not the pace of a dollar, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to chase a dollar. I, I, that's something I've told my whole leadership team. We're not going to hire just on talent. We're going to hire on fit as well. We, we, yeah. we love being around each other. Dave Kutcher and Aaron uh, Aaron Bushner, they're, they're the two that I chose. Mm -hmm. and, and so with our company, we're going to be purpose-driven versus dollar-driven. That's the awesome. Success. And so you, you took a pause yes. and you want to do it right. And you really mm -hmm. are focused on culture, not tools, which I right. think is... You know, that's kind of the thing that's that people, the tools I think are easier, you know, they're yes. hard, easier to figure out, easier to apply the culture. That's one of my favorite parts about, about going into organizations is seeing where people's culture, like how, what, how they behave towards each other. Mm. It's really interesting. And then to figure out, okay, how do we dismantle that? How, how you know, what are the behaviors that are keeping that in place? What behaviors do we need to really address? Yes. Um, in terms of what are we tolerating, right? So it's it's really eye opening to me because I'm a third party, and mm -hmm. you know, and they're kind of desensitized. You see that they're sort of desensitized to their culture because they've been in it for so long, and you're like, wow, that's so interesting. Tracy, the the secret the secret sauce was that make people visible. The secret mm -hmm. weapon when you're talking about culture control strategy. It doesn't eat it for breakfast. It doesn't eat it for lunch. It really controls what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's what I've seen in almost every company I've worked with, even at Goodyear. Mm -hmm. The people closest to the source are not the problem with buying in. It's those senior leaders that won't let go, that mm -hmm. think they're the experts, that, 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 that want to control everything. Mm -hmm. And then they really don't buy, buy in, right? They they, they believe that they're experts. They went through the, I call it airport lean. They went through the airport, saw a book on <laughs> Six Sigma experts or Kaizen events, read the book. By the time they land, they're experts. We need to have 14 black belts. We need to, and I'm like, no, no, no. How do you get that black belt at the shop floor level? How do you get that engagement? And, right? and, and, and that's the thing. How do you build trust? How yeah. do you build trust? And, and so that's what we do. We partner and, you know, we have very transparent conversations with the leaders at the top mm -hmm. around what we see are, are, are prohibiting the people from buying in. Mm -hmm. it, but it's, I, I, it's, it's blown me away. And I became successful, I'm going to say by accident. I can't say I knew that. I knew that that was a problem. I was so people-centric focused that I didn't allow my leadership to, to rebel and, 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 and overrun 
And I would tell my leisure team, you work for them. They don't work for you. Mm-hmm. A good leader works for their people. They eliminate constraints. And so what I'm seeing in organizations is some of those leaders don't feel that way. And they want, and they, they're so caught up in who gets credit versus how to move the needle. Yeah. Right? And one of my favorite quotes, uh, and I say around my 13 degrees, I was, I was super smart. I told my kids, I had 13 degrees when I was at Goodyear. I was smart. And what happened? Yeah, I earned two and I hired 11. <laughs> <laughs> and I used all 13 of them. That's really good. <laughs> I like that. So, Billy, is there a favorite part of your book or story from your book you want to share with our audience? Yeah, it's really around. It's, it's You really you talk about that. Do you get what you expect or expect what you get hmm. as a leader? And it's a story around my mom. Uh, I was a really, really good football player uh, growing up. And my mom was, she was a maid at that, at that time. And she would bring me books home from the people, how she cleaned. And I would learn how to read those books. And I became very proficient. But I thought that was kind of useless for me because I was the best athlete in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And she told me, son, let me be very clear, deliberately clear. Playing sports, that's a privilege. In my house, if you make anything less than a B, you can't play. And I mean that. And we were undefeated, getting ready to play for the city championship, as well as favorite to win the game by 20 points. Report cards came out. I had one F and all A's. Mm. I was legal to play by the school standards. Here's where leaders need to really pay attention. I was eligible to play by school standards, but not by my mom's standard. She took me off the team. <gasps> everybody came by that house to convince her to compromise on that standard. She says, no. See, NFL in my house means if he doesn't make at least a, a, a B, means not for long will you be playing. She <laughs> took me off that team, and we lost that game 50 to nothing. Oh, my now, gosh. I, I, I couldn't believe it. But you know what? She was right, and she would tell me when I wanted to negotiate. Baby, the standard is the standard. See, what you accept, you can't change. See, in my house, I'm going to get what I expect, not expect what I get. And I thought, wow, in my life, I've actually processed through. Now, standards are not monuments, right? But you have to earn the right to change the standard. It's not so my mom would teach me that. And, and, you know, I was raised by my great aunt as my legal guardian. And my mom and I are extremely tight too because I have three other siblings that really live with my mom. But my great aunt on her deathbed, I remember crying saying, mom, I'm not ready for you to go. And she goes, no, baby, it's my time, but I need to have a conversation with you. I said, she said, you know how hard it was for me to take you off that team 20 (laughs) years ago? How much I cried and wondered if I ruined your life? She goes, well, uh, look, it's my time to go, but I want you to understand something. Leadership is hard. Leadership, holding people to the standard is hard. And if you're going to be good at anything, hold to the standard. Mm-hmm. And so that's my favorite part of the book. You know? Yeah, that is awesome. Oh, I want to give beautiful. you a hug. Yes, yes. What? And, and that's, that's, how, that's how you we lead. 
Yeah, what a leader. What an amazing yes. leader she was. Absolutely. Wow. She's my, one of my greatest winning links, as the book says. That's, that's a favorite. <laughs> I love it. You know, and it's, it's been overwhelming. The book sold extremely well. We, I didn't expect the way it was going to do. And then I kept getting feedback and people sending me pictures of boxes that they were buying for their company. And then they were like, can you come spend an hour with us? And I said, yeah, pro bono. Uh-huh. It's an hour. I'll just meet your team and we can have a book review where they can ask me any questions. And I think, again, make people visible. They'll make you valuable. And, and from that, it's kind of being able mm-hmm. to talk about the practical piece of it. And, and the book is written in my personality. Mm-hmm. In your voice. Really joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's great. It's important. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. We're, all, we're out of time already. Billy. Oh, man. Too much oh, fun. Man. I thank y'all for having me. I was excited, Tracy, when you reached out to me. We go back from conferences when my brother was there. <laughs> when I saw your email, I'm like, I'm in. Let me know when. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so appreciate it. Both Elizabeth and I do. You're always welcome at the cafe and you are an awesome jolt of lean caffeine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> definitely. We'll uh, love to come back someday again, too. Yeah, you're definitely going to come back. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Even though, you know, purely on a like, hey, how you doing? Because you're not taking clients, but. Right. So right now, link, LinkedIn. And yeah. I, I respond to all of my LinkedIn. You, you're going to catch me. It's kind of my nighttime routine versus watching television. Uh, <laughs> so reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll definitely get back with you. All right. Well, Sounds good, it. Billy. Thank you. Be sure to register for our December 1st webinar featuring Tony Nava, the Senior Strategic Programs Manager for Operational Strategic Initiatives at the University of California, San Diego. Tony's gonna conduct some live demonstrations on how to use process mapping to help break down silos and connect the people in the process. It's our last webinar of the year, so do not miss it. We are really psyched to have your company. The Just One Time Cafe is packed with members of our fabulous community. And I'd give you all a hug if I could. (laughs) Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine.